pain is, it is a teacher. It brings awareness, it brings respect. In a really weird way, it can even make us grateful. That really was one of the biggest changes that I had at Badwater, was my relationship with pain and the way that I stood up to it. That was Sally McRae, and this is episode 50 of the Inspired Souls podcast. Hi, I'm Carolyn, and I'm a roadrunner. And I'm Kim, and I'm a trail runner. Welcome to our podcast, where we bring the communities of trail and road running together and explore the parallels between running and life. Today, we are celebrating our one-year anniversary at Inspired Souls Podcast, and we have a very special guest on the show today, pro mountain runner Sally McRae. Sally is a very busy and successful professional athlete, writer, coach, mom, and wife. She has podium finishes all over the world, and after over a decade of racing, she doesn't seem to be slowing down at all. Sally joins us from Southern California to talk about her recent Badwater 135 win, an impressive performance at what is considered the hottest and hardest race on the planet. We also discuss what it's like to be a pro athlete and a mom of teenagers, how her life and race experiences have shaped her, and the lessons she has learned along the way. We talk about mindset, pain, loss, forgiveness, faith, grace, and gratitude. She is open, honest, and intense, while at the same time joyful and fun. Over the years, Sally has been a huge inspiration to me, and we are so honored that she took the time to talk to us today. We thoroughly enjoyed this conversation, and we know you will too. Sally McRae, welcome to the Inspired Souls podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Carolyn and I are so excited to have you join us. We are, here's a little secret, we are actually planning to drop this episode on the one-year anniversary of our start of our podcast. Oh, that's so special. Yay! So you're (laughs) going to be our special guest to help us celebrate that date. We can't believe it's been a year of podcasting. Wow. And um, yeah, it's hard to imagine that we might have listeners who don't know who you are, (laughs) but we have quite a diverse audience, so we just might. So if you could start by just telling us a little bit about yourself, who is Sally McRae? (laughs) Well, hello, everyone listening. Thanks for tuning in. This is always a loaded question, ladies. (laughs) (laughs) I know. Um, And there's so many ways that I could begin uh, who I am. But I guess the reason why we're talking today is is because I'm a runner. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So um, I'm a professional ultra and trail runner. And that's been my career for almost a decade now. Um, I'm based in uh, sunny California. And I am a wife and a mother of of two children. And I run a coaching business. I'm also an iFit trainer, a Nike Run Club coach. I do a little bit of speaking, a little bit of writing, all the things. (laughs) And a little bit of running. (laughs) And a little bit of running. (laughs) Yes, all the things. And uh, so where do we go from here? Like, that's a lot of things that you just mentioned. So you've got two teenagers, right? Yeah, they both turned teenagers this year. Um, Well, it it became a family of only teenagers. So yeah, my son Isaiah is 13. And my daughter Mackenzie is 15. Oh my goodness. So 13, 15, you're yeah. running ultras, you're married, you have a husband, yeah. like really, where does it all fit in? Like, let's just talk logistics for a moment. Yeah. We're actually both mothers of yes. preteens to teens mm-hmm. as well, mm-hmm. close to the same age. So we know what our lives are like. We can't imagine what your life is like. Yeah. Yeah. It's And you know what? I, can, I think that most people even listening can say that life is busy. And mm-hmm. Anytime that we tell ourselves, I'm going to wait until I'm less busy. I mean, we're kind of lying to ourselves (laughs) because we don't know what's ahead for one, but like we, we haven't been there yet. And for as much time as I've been on this earth, I've learned that I actually do get busier every year. And so I have just become, uh, very focused and, and determined to be disciplined with my time. I think that's all it really comes down to. And, um, when my kids were babies, you know, it was, it was my goal. There was a lot of things that I was trying to pursue when, when my children were babies. And one of them was that I wanted to be a stay at home mom. And, 
Um, it's, it's quite difficult in Southern California to live on one income. And, you know, my husband was an elementary school teacher. He wasn't like a big banker or anything like that. So, um, I absolutely needed to be working and, but I really wanted to be at home with the kids. And so, you know, I I started my own fitness business and I was up and training women, uh, in these outdoor, like boot boot camp style fitness camps. And, you know, I, my life just started to begin at 4am. And what I learned at that time was that, you know, at 4am, nobody needs me. My, my babies are Mm -hmm. still sleeping and, you know, there, there's a lot that can be accomplished. So I, I started to work on a lot of the things that I loved and, and pursued a lot of uh, my passions in the hours that no one needed me. And so it was 4 a.m. and 10 p.m. for many, mm. many years. And yeah, I was tired. I, you know, I, I think that's always one of the biggest things that we are, we're constantly trying to figure out because we don't want to be so fatigued that we don't give quality or that we're not our own being. <laughs> but I think that, you know, I learned that there is a, a time when when we understand that everyone's given 24 hours and it's just what we um, choose to do with those hours and what we're willing to either give up or set aside or focus on within those 24 hours. So yeah, being a mom and a, an athlete and all of that, uh, it's been many years and years and years of just trying to discipline myself with with my time and making to-do lists and, and things like that. hundred percent. So, I mean, any mom can identify with that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, we're all given 24 hours. You know, I think, you know, I started running ultras roughly 10 years ago myself, not mm-hmm. to your level, but you know, it actually takes people like me longer to get my runs in <laughs> than you. And, and when my kids were little, I was one of those 4am moms too, because oh, I could yeah. be in bed at eight or nine at night because they went yes. to bed early. Mm-hmm. Well, now they're staying up right till like 10, 11. <laughs> and I'm like, I don't want to go a bit to bed before them, but you right. pretty much have you to. you got to check in on those phones and what yeah. they're up to, right? Exactly. They can't be up till two. <laughs> in the summer so it's it's, it's, it evolves as the kids get older I found my routine has had to change I don't know Mm -hmm. have you found the same thing or yes and you know I really love this topic because it is something that you know I talk to with parents all the time and this is really a space that I love I I feel like so often especially when we are uh, brand new parents um, it's really easy to think to ourselves that, okay, well, now that I have children, um, there's no more doing the things that I love or pursuing these dreams or passions or anything. It's just, I'm just tired all the time. And, and not only that, it's, it's very easy. Um, I know we can all relate to this. We live, unfortunately, in a world that's so heavily laden with social media that we get caught up in, wow, look what their house looks like and how well-dressed and behaved their children are. And mm-hmm. like, you know, and they have it all together and I don't. And then we just start beating ourselves up. And it's very easy, um, you know, as mothers to kind of go in this, this comparison and the shame cycle and, and guilt. And, um, and, you know, for many of us, we've even experienced our very own family members saying, you know, what are you doing? You, you should be at home and you should be doing this with the kids and you should be doing this in your house. And so I, I dealt with all of that. And when, when my son, my kids are just under two years apart. So when I, one day I was, um, sitting on the couch with Isaiah and he was just a few months old and I was trying to, to read, I was trying to, I'm I'm just going to get a chapter in to read. And it was just a really bad morning. And, um, you know, my daughter was, you know, just wild and crazy terrorizing the whole house. And my son, you know, needed me every, every couple of minutes. I felt like I was changing his diaper every 20 minutes. And <laughs> I was just so tired, you know, my husband's mm-hmm. off at work. And I think a big, a, a big part of what I was feeling in that moment was just, that I, I kind of was feeling sorry for myself. Like, I feel like this pressure that I need to do a, B and C, that I need to be like this person and that person in my, in my neighborhood. And I, I really made that decision when my kids were little. I was like, you know what? I, from this day on, I'm just going to choose to do what works for my family because that is what the beauty is of having your own family is that it's so unique to you. Our children have specific needs. Our, our partners have specific needs. Our daily schedules and what we do with our time is very specific. And then I realized too how quickly those things change. When, when your kids are babies and they're in diapers and you're having to feed them yourself, you know, every hour, 
it's so different when they go off to kindergarten, when they go off their first year of school, and then suddenly you have a few hours in the day to yourself. And, and so, you know, I, I think that embracing the beauty of the season and giving yourself that grace and knowing that this little block of time that you have, these couple years where maybe it's a little bit busier, or you're a little bit more tired, or you don't have as much time, it is going to end. Mm-hmm. And, it, and, and then it's going to change. And, and so instead of pushing against it, the best thing is always just embrace it. And so when my kids were little babies, you know, most of my workouts were with a double jogging stroller or at 4 a.m. or on the treadmill when they were taking a nap or when I could go to a gym that had a kid's club. Nothing was ever like these wonderful four hours in the mountains. (laughs) My first year (laughs) ultra running, uh, even when I first came into the sport, I never even ran on the trails. For one, I was terrified, but I didn't have time. So many of my runs, like a lot of times I'd have to run two to three times a day. I would maybe do five kilometers in the morning and then I could get on the treadmill for like six kilometers when they were sleeping. And then maybe I could get in a few more kilometers at night. And I was like, all right, awesome. I did 10 kilometers today. It took me three runs to do it, but I did it. And yes. And so I think that so often we think, well, I've downloaded this training program online. I need to stick to it exactly as it is. And if I don't, well, I guess it's just not my season and, and, mm-hmm. and this is so unfair and I, I just can't do it. It's just not for me. And we really go into like kind of this negative spiral when at the end of the day, it's like, well, that training plan that you downloaded online did not have you in mind at all. They don't mm-hmm. know who you are, what you're doing with your time or who your children are, but you do. And so if you want to train for your first 5K or 10K or 50K, the reality is, is that you just need to be disciplined to do something every single day. Because when you do something, even if it's so small, you are getting better and getting that much closer to your goal. And that was really my philosophy. I knew at the time I decided to train as for an 80 kilometer race as my first ultra. I was like, I'm just going to go all in because I'd done road marathons. Like I, I'm not just going to do a 50K because that's not that much further than a marathon. I want to do something that really scares me. But I knew when I looked at whatever information I could find online and this distance sounded so massive to me that I thought, you know what, I, I'm just going to do what I can and I'm going to train in the way that fits my family. And every season that changes. And, and you know what, now that my kids are teenagers, yes, mine are staying up late and they need me in very different ways than they did when they were little. Mm-hmm. And I'll tell you, it is so exhausting. I thought I was exhausted when my kids were in diapers. But Amen. wow, <laughs> the emotional and mental exhaustion that comes from raising <laughs> teenagers and taxing around. I mean, I am in the car, you know, like constantly. And it's like, it's a, a completely different season. So my training looks very, my training schedule is very different than when mm-hmm. it was when, when they were babies. But I honestly can't say that one is easier than the other. No, no. <laughs> I wondered how long it would be for you to mention the word grace on this podcast, oh. because I know that's the like the theme of your life. And I want to get into that a lot more. Oh, but good. I have a question I was going to ask you later. And I think this is a per- perfect segue to it. Mm-hmm. You know, one thing that I admire about you is exactly what you've just spoken to. You're, you're both incredibly driven and dedicated mm-hmm. to your training and your mm-hmm. scheduling. Well, at the same time, it's that dichotomy of being fluid and flexible. Mm. And you you don't beat yourself up if, if things don't go quite to plan. You don't have the same schedule every day. You take what your body in the day gives and you honor that with mm-hmm. grace. And so talk to us a bit about this concept of grace that I know resonates so deeply with you. Mm. Have you always given yourself that space and that forgiveness? Or is that something you've kind of had to gain Mm -hmm. (laughs) over the years of being a human on this planet? Yeah, no, it it truly is one of my my favorite topics. I think that grace is actually a a hard thing to find just in society in general, Mm -hmm. because even as children, we are raised that you get praised by performance and by behavior. And also as, as we get older, there's very much, you know, you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. And I think sometimes if we, you know, if, if we live in this, in this idea that we always need to be trying to prove ourselves and trying to impress others, it's pretty exhausting. And it's actually something that, that can never truly be achieved because 
I mean, you could be Mother Teresa herself and there's someone that's going to be disappointed in you and you're going to have your critics. And many times our worst critics are actually ourselves. And, you know, growing up in a, in a family of seven, I had an amazing, uh, very encouraging mother, but I had a, an extremely disapproving father. And as a child, it was, it was very confusing to me because I felt like I had a mom that loved me no matter what, regardless of what grades I got, regardless of how I performed out on the soccer pitch or running or in gymnastics. It was in, in her mind, like I was just her daughter. I was Sally, like she loved me. Um, on, the, on the flip side, it was a very opposite um, feeling from my father. He was violent and he was mean and he was cruel. And because of that, I grew up constantly trying to prove to him that I was worth his attention. I was worth his love. I was, I was worth that, that grace. And so um, I was a very, very high achieving child. And it was driven by a very negative thing. So when my mom passed away when I was 17, you know, those, the, the, that feeling of loss of someone that is just has, had encouraged me in every aspect of my life. And, um, you know, no one in my family had ever gone to college. There was a lot of things and, uh, you know, just about our family that w- in, in my mind, I felt like, man, I can't wait to get out of this family and, and really attempt to do things that, that, you know, only seem like a storybook. And one of them was to go to college and, and really make a, um, a life for myself that was very opposite from what I had grown up in. And so, you know, I, I really struggled after my mom passed away. I really struggled with even uh, having a really bitter and angry heart because of how hurt I had been by my dad and then just losing my mom. I, I kind of went more into this very hardened heart the world is hard. And there is a lot of other things that happened in that one year that my mom passed away. It was, um, I just felt like my whole world had come crashing down. At one point, there was seven people living in our home. And then within an afternoon, it was just me in the house all by myself. I, my sisters were taken off to foster care. My dad was taken to jail. My older mm-hmm. siblings were old enough to be out of the house. And I remember coming home all alone um, I had just turned 18, so I wasn't taken into the, into the um, system as well. But I remember coming home and, and just falling to my knees and saying, I have, everything has been taken away from me. And I, I had had universities around the United States that were looking at me as a soccer player. I had dreams of going to college and playing soccer. I had so many dreams for myself that I had worked so hard for. And I had, in my eyes, I, I had been a great student, a great person, like why was all of this happening to me? And so, you know, I, I spent, you know, a few years just being very hard in, in my heart. And, you know, a, a lot of people knew me as a very tough, strong person, but I knew deep in my heart, it wasn't the tough and strong type of person that was very admirable. I knew um, that the only way that I was going to get over all of that was to somehow muster up a way to, to forgive my dad. And I was driving to the hospital one day because um, six weeks after my mom died, my dad had a brain tumor. He was diagnosed with a brain tumor that almost killed him. And um, at this time, we didn't really have any other family or friends that could care for him. And so I was next in line to do that. And I remember uh, being called to the recovery room. They said, Sally, we need you to come in and see your dad and we're going to show you how to give him shots because he's going to need shots each day. And uh, the type of tumor that he has was so severe that they cut his head from ear to ear sideways and they put giant bolts in his head. And when they stitched him up, they let the bolts out because he, the treatment he needed, he would have to go back to the hospital and his head would be connected to a giant machine and they were going to try to radiate this very rare tumor out of his brain. So I was 18 years old, and I remember going into the recovery room and seeing my dad um, sitting there slumped over in his wheelchair and a little bit of blood still from the healing was was kind of coming out. And I had this moment. uh, It was like all of time just slowed down. And I remember thinking, here is someone that caused so much pain and hurt in my life, and he needs me and he's helpless. You know, and for me, you know, faith plays a really big part in my life and I just I just prayed right then and there. I was like, give me 
love for him because I hate him. Give me forgiveness for him. Help me to forgive him because I don't want to ever forgive him. And I knew that, um, you know, hate and, and unforgiveness, it just makes a, a heart bitter and it keeps you angry and it spreads out into every single area of your life into all of your relationships. And this time, at this time I was dating my now husband and I, I didn't want that a part of my life anymore. And so I thought, you know, I can forgive him if he never says he's sorry to me and I can be free. And I can't say it was just overnight, you know, it was just this amazing thing. There was a lot of years ahead where it was just a struggle and it was a back and forth and it was just a long road of healing, like many things. But, um, but I never strayed from that. And I saw how much it changed my life, but also how I could apply it to every single area of my life. Because it is so easy for me to fall back into this idea of, you know, things need to be perfect. You need to prove this. And, and um, you know, if, if you do this wrong, then, then you're going to pay for it. I mean, all, all of the negativities that I used to, that I grew up with as a child, it's very easy to take that in just into my adult life. So when my kids were babies, I vowed that is not how I'm going to raise my children. And that is not the parent that I'm going to be. I want grace to rule in our lives because at the end of the day, the grace that um, we show ourselves is so easily spilt out onto those around us. And I think that people long for that. We long to know that, hey, you're okay. Like we're going to come back from this. We're going to try again. It's a new day. And, and just such simple thoughts that, um, that we can cling to. We can remind ourselves like we're all human. We're not trying to be perfect and, and nothing is perfect. And things actually don't have a, a timestamp on them. Every time you want to complete a goal, like take your time, you know, that I think that every season has its own characteristic. And sometimes the season is simply just to teach us a lesson for something that's far ahead. And I knew that um, as a young mother at that time, it wasn't really popular what I was doing. It wasn't popular for me to go exploring what ultra running was and running these long hours and training three times a day. But I'll tell you, as a lifelong competitive athlete, it was always in my heart from the time I was a little girl to be a professional athlete. Um, I was always very active, very, very passionate. I loved training. Like I knew that was part of my life and I, I didn't want to let it go. So I think, you know, when my mom passed away and, um, I really believed that dream had died, but it, it didn't, it was so much a part of who I was, that journey of losing her, um, ultimately, uh, made me stronger and, and set me up for a lot of, of great things in the future. And um, so, yeah, so that's where the grace comes from. It's, it's, I, I love it. I think that we can spread it onto others. And I think especially as, as parents, as mothers, it's, it's something that we need to show ourselves again and again, because our children are watching and our children need grace and, Absolutely. and no, no human is perfect. And just as you were talking there, I was just thinking what a huge wound that is to not be seen by a parent, right? Mm -hmm. And some people, you know, struggle to, to really get out of that dynamic of being kind of externally referenced, like looking to other people for that validation and that approval. So I was curious if and how running has played a role in kind of helping you you heal and forgive your dad and learn to sort of generate those feelings of validation and approval within yourself, those, those um, feelings that you've probably craved all your life. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, running was uh, at the start for me, it was really fun. Like I, I discovered running as a little girl. I was naturally just very fast. I was in, in elementary school. I was the fastest in the school. And as a little kid, um, and I was, I was a small, like little kid, I was a little whippet and I just, I had a really high energy. So I was always running, you know, all over the place. But at the older I got, I actually fell in love with soccer and gymnastics. I thought running just on its own was actually pretty boring. So, um, I would do short little local races. And then when I got, by the time I got into high school, you know, I was the fastest on the soccer team and I was just known for this, having great endurance and, and speed. So it was something that I enjoyed. I loved that feeling of the wind in my face. And there was something about it, even as a child 
there was a little park right down the um, street from us. And me and one of my sisters, we would go down and and we would pick the flowers. There's these honeysuckle flowers. We used to suck the little sweetness out of these flowers. But I would love just to run circles. I mean, it was just at my core. I love to run circles around this park. Like I would just go and run. So I think it has always been this feeling of freedom for me because it wasn't anything that I had to learn, like riding a bike or doing a cartwheel or juggling a soccer ball. Running was just something I could just pick up and do. I could do it barefoot. I could do it with my shoes on and grass and sand anywhere. And so when my mom um, started getting sick, one thing is, is that I, I kind of realized more when I was an adult was that I just loved going out and thinking. You know, I used to sit on the wall and the, uh, this wall that overlooked this huge field when I was like 12, 13 years old. I would sit on the back wall behind our house and it overlooked this field. And in the distance were these beautiful hills and mountains. And on this particular hill was this really big electrical kind of tower But from a distance, it looked like a man. It looked like a man leaning up into the hill. And for years, I would go and I'd sit on the back wall and I'd look at this electrical tower and I'd think, man, he's so lucky to be up there. And I knew it was an electrical tower, but I would imagine that it was a man out on an adventure, that he was on this journey, that he was traveling the world. And one of my biggest life dreams is I want to see the world. I want to travel. I want to get on a plane. Like, what must that be like? And very curious, very full of, of wonder. I had always been that way. So I think, you know, when, when my mom was sick, I would go on these really long bike rides and I would just think, and I would feel free and I would just kind of release in that way. Um, and then when I went off to college, you know, after I'd finished, I was working a couple jobs while I was taking, you know, a full load in college. And I was a starter on the soccer team. I would go and run like at midnight and it was just like my quiet time. It was just, I would run beneath the stars and I would pray and I would think, and it was just like this really sweet time. And so when I discovered um, endurance running after college, it was just what I did before I would go to teach. Cause I was a, I was an English teacher. I was a freshman English teacher for a few years. So I would get up early in the morning and I would just go run and Uh, My husband and I went and we taught English in China. And so I would get up in the morning as a way to go explore the city that we were in. And I'd watch people do Tai Chi on the roads and I would stop and get breakfast from one of the the little breakfast carts that were out there in the morning. And, and so when I came back, it was just kind of like, wow, like I'll train for a marathon. So running was always just like, whether it was a way for me to think or a way to see the world around me, it was always a, a deep love of mine. I really, really loved it. And even, you know, as, as COVID first hit and all the races were canceled, you know, I, I still wanted to get out and run when I could. So whether it was doing a little loop in my neighborhood or getting on the treadmill, I think running has just always been a way it's like been my quiet time to think. Wow. Yes. I think there's so many people listening to this podcast that can identify with that. It, not everybody likes to think as much and as long as you do, but. Um. <laughs> I know. That's funny you say that because people are like, don't you get bored? And I was like, well, uh, never. I do. <laughs> never. Well, I, I'd say this too. And I think some of yeah. you listening can identify this. I have one of those brains that doesn't go to sleep. So mm-hmm. um, yeah. some people call it ADD. <laughs> but um, I like to call it a creative mind. I come from a long uh, line of creative people. We've got actors and musicians and artists and um, writers. So it, And I kind of fall right in there. And so when I run, I actually do a lot of my writing. I do so much yes. writing when I run. And sometimes... Um, I will pause and I'll transcript things. And sometimes I actually do bring a little notebook with me or I'll take notes on my phone. Like when I get to the summit, I'll write stuff down. And I, I think a lot of people that are kind of have like an artist brain can, can, can agree with this. You go and you do a physical activity and you mm-hmm. feel more creative. I actually think this Absolutely. is a science. I think that, yeah, I was going to say that's scientifically <laughs> proven. I yeah. Believe. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so it just wells up in me. I feel like most alive, uh, you know, you got the endorphins and the oxygen too, which, which absolutely helps in the creation of all of that. But I am very inspired the most when I'm running in the mountains 
Um, it's quiet. I can hear my feet hit the ground. Um, I'm completely disconnected from Wi-Fi and traffic signals and noise and screens. And it's just, I really feel like it's just such a pure place to be. And so I naturally become very creative um, in that time. So I do, I do love that. I, I don't get bored. Uh, mm. I can't remember a day that I've been bored. <laughs> can my kids ever say that? I'm like, what? Oh, I'm going to make you very unboard right now. <laughs> well, it is true. Like when when I first started running, I would run to get out of my head. And some days I still do. But now it's like I, I love diving deep into my own head. And it sounds yeah. arrogant in a way, but I love spending no, time in my no, own no. head. It's so good to sort those things out. It is. dream. Yeah. You know, I, I yeah, think so absolutely. often people, you know, the older we get, the days go, seem to go by faster. Mm. They really do. Oh, they do. And yeah. And, and we talk to people all the time that have ideas or plans or dreams or goals. And it always comes down to the fact, okay, what did you do today to work on that though? Yeah. What did you do today? Well, I got to just wait till I finish this project or I just got to wait until I'm a little less busy or when the kids do this or da, 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 da. It's like, no, you got to do at least, even if it's five minutes every single day, you got to do something. And you know what? Going out and sorting through those things in a run and thinking about them and coming up with the steps, coming up with a plan and how you're going to execute that, that's powerful thinking right there. But equally as powerful is to really survey and remember how far you've come as well. You know, I, I think we forget to do that. You know, what mm -hmm. have I done in the last month that I said I was going to do? <laughs> Speaking of what you've done in the last month... <laughs> Uh, you've had some big goals that yeah. you have for a long time. And I know there's definitely so many more questions we want to ask just about what goes on in Sally's head. But um, I know that I do want to spend a few minutes talking about your most recent accomplishment, which was um, you won the Badwater 135 yeah. mile run about, was it four weeks ago now? Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. about four weeks ago. About um, four weeks. Yeah. So, you know, I think a lot of people know the name of Badwater. They know it's hot, but it is a mysterious race that not a lot of people know much <laughs> about, as you've spoken to before on other podcasts. Yeah. So can you just tell us a little bit about this race? By the way, congratulations Aww. for that win. I was one of those like Instagram creepers come <laughs> watching the whole thing from your amazing <laughs> manager, Eddie, who has been, was posting everything all along. Thank um, you so much. So, Thank you to him for doing yeah. that. And uh, yes, it was an amazing accomplishment. We're very, very proud of you. So tell us a bit about the race for those that don't know much about it. Yeah. So Badwater, um, the the actual race itself is, has been around since the early 1980s. So about 40 years, maybe a little bit over 40 years. And the, the course is iconic. It's well known because it starts at the lowest point in the United States, about 280 feet below sea level. And... The original course then ended at the highest point in the lower 48 states, Mount Whitney. And the race is 135 miles, which I think is like 210 kilometers. No. You know what? You've been very gracious trying to speak in kilometers. Yes. Thank you. Pretty good. <laughs> yeah. That, that didn't go unnoticed. However, however, most runners, at least in Central Canada, can still speak in miles. So we're good. Yeah. I did a quick, um, I whipped out my calculator in preparing yeah. for this. I think it's 216. Um, 216. Okay. I was close. I thought yes, it was 210. Yeah. It sounds even more badass. Yeah, I know. 216 want to yourself. <laughs> yeah. Right? Right? I know. I like to speak in feet over meters too right. for that reason. <laughs> <laughs> so, so yes, it's 216 kilometers and the race is entirely on the road. Now I'm more of a mountain ultra trail runner. And so this is, you know, my first and really only ultra race that I have done on the road. But the reason why it is tagged the toughest foot race on the planet is because it also reaches temperatures between 50 and 56 Celsius. Um, it, it gets very, very hot and it's completely expo exposed the entire time. So the course now is only, um, well, it was 146 miles. So now it's 135 because you need a permit to summit Mount Whitney. Now you can't just go up to the top. So the race ends at the portal of, of Mount Whitney. 
so that's where the Badwater 135 mm. comes in. Okay. Well, and you attempted this race in 2018, if I'm not mistaken. And so I'm always curious to ask people, like when they go back to a race, like what did you learn from the last one that you're now bringing into um, how you execute this one? And I also read that you uh, you did a lot to heat train for this one, speaking of being 56 <laughs> Celsius. Um, so can you talk to us a little bit about your training? Yeah. I'd say that the probably the biggest difference between 2018 and 2021 was my mindset mm. because as far as being heat acclimated and my fitness I really felt like that you know they were they were fairly comparable. I was very fit at the start line of both races. I was very comfortable in the heat. I do like the heat growing up in Southern California, you can get both humidity and dry heat. And I live only three hours from the course. So mm. I was able to get on the course and do some very specific training. So the, the difference between the two, though, was, yes, it was, it was the mindset. It was um, the way that I viewed the course. I went into 2021 with way more respect after being greatly humbled <laughs> in 2018. Uh, I had a lot of things go wrong pretty much immediately in 2018. And I did have some things go wrong in, in this year as well. But... I think that the mindset allowed me to push through and have a better result than I did in, in 18. So when you say mindset, are you talking about like how you were speaking to yourself or can you elaborate on what you did on the mindset side of things? Yeah. You know, my mindset can, it can cover a whole host of things. And I, I really love um, sports psychology and just the approach that just the human mind has to anything that is difficult or, or challenging. And so I, I've studied that for many, many years. I think one, especially once I, I turned um, pro, that became, you know, a very typical type of book that I, that I was reading. I always wanted to gain some type of edge and I, I know how powerful the mind is. And so I think that one of the things that I felt in 2018 what I was definitely prideful because I believed that I was so fit and so ready and so well-trained that I truly could handle anything out there. However, once things went wrong, my mindset was more like, are you kidding me? Of course, this is happening to me. Mm -hmm. Like, this is ridiculous. And I had more of a, um, more of a pity party for myself for many, for many, many a, a good chunk of that race and I think ultimately your mindset can also affect just how you are receiving physical discomfort. Right. Um, you know, your mind is actually more powerful than, than your physical body. And so if your mind is weakening, then everything starts to hurt a little bit more. And it's a lot harder to deflect, you know, discomfort as opposed to when you go in with a more grateful, positive mindset. And so I think in 2018, I was very upset about how my race was unfolding. I had had some severe, severe cramping in my inner thighs and the adductors more specifically. And, you know, that's a really hard uh, group of muscles to, um, I think, like changing my running gait wouldn't help. It wasn't like a, like a calf problem, like if, if my calves were hurting or if an IT band, the adductors were just merciless. And so it was very hard just to even have a strong walk. And so I complained quite a bit. I was really upset. And then about halfway through the race, I did have to get to that point where I was like, man, I, my whole team has sacrificed so much for me to be out here. I trained so hard. This is the race that, that I'm having. I, I really need to like, like suck it up and just like get to that finish line. And so I ended that race and I'd even shared this in a post back then as well. I said, you know, this race was nothing that I had dreamed it to be. It was nothing that I trained for. And, and in my mind at that time, like it was like my fitness, this is not the result that I should have had, but it was actually everything that I needed. And really I was kind of tipping my hat at the fact that even in when we miss our goals and to me crossing the finish line was awesome. That was a great accomplishment, but I was very disappointed in my performance. I was disappointed in how I tackled the whole race mentally and physically. And so I thought this is actually what I needed because I'm not really sure what's ahead for me, but the lessons that I learned 
uh, in this race, I know are going to serve me well in the future. And of course it took me a few more years, but, um, yeah, I'm thankful for what I learned. (laughs) So on that note, like you, you took what you learned in 2018 Mm -hmm. and you applied it this year with Mm -hmm. great success. However, the experience still wasn't the experience of your dreams. Um, I don't want to go into all the gory details on this podcast, (laughs) primarily because you've talked on probably 10 other podcasts already about this. So if listeners want to hear all those details, Mm -hmm. um, you know, Trail Runner Nation and, you know, lots of different great podcasters have have asked you those questions. But Mm -hmm. you are truly a spirit, sorry, a student of the sport and of life. And you've spoken on other podcasts about races as being checkpoints. I love that. Checkpoints as a way to monitor growth in probably any way, physical, mental, spiritual, social. And so I can't help but think that literally running bad water was probably literally like running through the refiner's fire, right? Like there, there's got to be every race teaches you something. Mm. You talk about races being exactly what you needed. So I'm curious this year, it was a success, but what did you learn this year? What still needs refining and what did you discover at this most recent checkpoint? I think I was just able to really see too, like it, it doesn't matter that I won at the end of the day. I always believe that we can always grow and we can learn from every experience. And I, you know, I actually spoke at this when at the award ceremony, they kind of gave me the microphone. They gave the champions a, 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 ch- a, a chance to say a few words, which is really kind. And it just kind of came out of me because the race director does such a wonderful job of taking notice of everybody that lined up for the start line, not just the people that finished, not just the people that won. And he really took the time to honor the people that had dropped out because the the race itself is such a massive investment. It's such a and it's heartbreaking. I mean, it's a massive investment financially and, and, and really the demands of that kind of training. It's, it is very difficult when you can't cross a finish line. People have been dreaming for years and years and years of doing that race. And so I think what I learned in that moment was like, it doesn't matter if, if you dropped out of the race, you didn't meet, you know, get to that finish line, or if you finish at the top of the podium, we were all doing the same thing. And we were all learning. And I really do believe that when I, you know, I'd say like two days after that race, like laying in bed, still a little bit (laughs) uncomfortable and in pain, I was thinking about all the things that I could do better next year, but rejoicing too in the fact that I was able to push through something that I, that I never knew that I could push through in the past. So I think that was probably like one of the best things that I learned was like, wow, when you put yourself out there and when you choose to kind of walk through the fire and you choose to say to yourself, like, yeah, guess what? It's uncomfortable. Like this hurts. Like, and so you're either going to be pouting and it's hurting, or you're going to complain and it's still going to hurt, or you're going to pick your head up and act like a warrior and still go, but have just a completely different mindset. And so celebrate the pain. Yeah. And kind of celebrate it because it's still there no matter what, but it also doesn't last forever. And I think that everything in life is like that. And so finishing this race and and even just looking back on it, you know, I I always want to do better. I mean, I think it's the life of of any athlete, like where even when we get that PB, you know, you, you, you finally hit like that 18 minute mark in a 5k or, you know, that 24 minute or 30 minute and you're like, oh, but I could have gone 29, 49, like, I, I know I can. And that there's there's a little bit of hope in the growth. There's a hope in the lesson that pulls us forward. I mean, that ultimately is what pulls us forward. It's like, wait, like, I just literally did something that I wasn't sure that I could do, or I just did something that I couldn't actually conceive in my own mind until I put myself into that situation. And now that very thing has me believing that there's actually something better, there's something greater, and that I am capable of a little bit more. So I think at, at the very core of that race, getting that victory that I dreamed about for so long, it was so incredible. That feeling was so incredible. But if anything, it just showed me like, yeah, you you actually are capable more of what you know, because what you just went through, you'd never been through before. Mm -hmm. And I think you're speaking again to 
that skill of being able to hold two things at once that we spoke about at the beginning. So it's okay to finish that race and think I could do better. I want more. I want to go back and do it again. And I'm proud of myself for what I just did. Yes. Right. And and back to the mindset, like that's a mindset like that you can, it's not bad to want more. And we have to honor what just happened. Right. And where we're at currently. Absolutely. You know, I, I coach athletes, I interact with athletes and give talks to athletes constantly. And one thing that, you know, whenever I do like a meet and greet or, or something like that, it's so common that when athletes first meet me, they they kind of want to give me a little bit of resume. Hey, Sally, I, I do this and this and this and this and this. But more often than not, they they first want to make sure that I know how less of themselves that they, that they think. So they, they, they want me to, you know, yeah, I run marathon, but I, you know, I, I walk the marathon. I walk it. So, you know, uh, oh yeah, I don't run as fast as you. I don't do that. I I don't, I just want you to know, first of all, who you're talking to. And I, I think that, you know, at the end of the day, this is why I love speaking to this because the most important thing is truly not how fast you're doing the 10 K, not how fast you're doing the 80 kilometer race up a mountain. The reality is, is there was somewhere in your journey where you actually believed that you could do it. So you signed up, you registered, you decided to train and you came to the start line. And what is most significant about the entire race is that you showed up. And it will always be that because at the end of our lives, it's like you either did or you didn't. You either did or you didn't. That's it. No one cares about the pace. No one cares what you were feeling or how many times you threw up or how many gels you took in. None of that matters. You either did or you didn't. So when people DNF or they don't have the day that they planned for, you hear this all, well, it just wasn't my day. It wasn't what, okay. At the end of the day, you showed up and you believed you could. So it isn't actually about having a successful PR or getting that color medal that you wanted. It is actually about the lesson that you learn and why the races that are before you, they truly are checkpoints because there's one race and there's one finish line and that is the end of your life. And every single time you stand up to a start line, you have the opportunity to grow. And so it's either going to be a really crappy day where you're going to see all your weaknesses come out and you're going to hate it and you're going to drop out, but you are either going to sit and complain and say, I'm never going to do that again, or you are going to be honest and you're going to say, okay, I need to work on this. I need more discipline in this. And you know what? I'm going to try again. And guess what? That next race is going to be better and you're going to be better and you're going to be stronger. Mm-hmm. And so speaking to the athletes that DNF or they miss them are, you know what, you're not any less. Or, you know, if you t- if it takes you six hours to do a marathon or it takes you two hours to do a marathon, the, the reality is you're, you're on the same route, on the same course, and you stood at the same start line and you both believe the same thing. And that was that you thought you could get to the finish mm-hmm. line and you absolutely will. It might mm-hmm. take you five or six races, but you will. It's so interesting how sneaky we are about bringing ourselves down, right? Like when people yeah. sort of pull themselves down, I'm not as good as you, but I, I can just yeah. only imagine how powerful your words are for those people when when you, mm. Sally McRae, turn around and remind them of that profound lesson, mm. right? That it mm. is about showing up and yeah. it is about just doing your best on any given day. Yeah. Well, it was seven years ago, if I'm not mistaken, that the movie Western Time came out (laughs) and uh, the world was introduced to you and uh, thank you, Billy. Love with you. Yes. (laughs) Um, So you're seven years removed from that. You've had your ups and downs, just like all of us. What kind of keeps you going at, at such a high level? What allows you to, you know, win bad water? Can you speak to some of the things that maybe have stayed the same over those seven years and then some things that have changed over that time? Yeah, I, I think at the, the core of, of the things that have always stayed in my life are the things that I'm most passionate about. I really believe that every person is, is given gifts and different talents and things that they're naturally drawn to. And sometimes those things evolve. They kind of change face a little bit. But 
you know, from the time I was a little girl, like I've loved to explore. Um, I've been a big dreamer, very, very curious about human limits um, and what is possible. I'd say out of the five kids, it probably scared my mom the most. You know, I'd climb (laughs) up on the roof of our house and jump off all the time. I'd jump off staircases if my friends had two-story houses. Like this idea of being able just to jump off things and climb high. And um, I was always taking off and exploring. But I've I've loved at the deep in my heart, just the being able to move my body. And so I, I hope and pray that that is something I can do for the rest of my life because I just I, I just believe that is um, a part of the way that that I was created. I was I was made strong and I was made to endure. But what I also believe is that when we are given these talents or you know given these passions, these natural passions for things, it's also a great way to, to discover why it is that you're even here, um, and and realize that these things that we've been given are not to be used just for ourselves. They're to be used for something greater and something better. And I've realized over the years that um, my running isn't just about running, but it is one of my favorite ways to communicate with the world around me. And I love to write and I love to run. Those will, till the day I die, I don't ever want to stop doing, you know, either of those things. And I do share quite a bit of my writing in very small snippets on Instagram. If you follow me on Instagram, Mm -hmm. um, you can see a little bit of it, a little bit of my style. And, um, but I think that what I found is um, I've just really loved paralleling what matters in life, what is true and what is good and used running as, as an excuse for people to listen. Yes. You know, I really believe if you're given a platform, you're given a great responsibility to do the, the right thing with it. Uh, we don't always see that in our world. And it's not very easy because you sometimes have to take a road that isn't popular and that, that people don't like. But I really believe w- uh, w- in so much in my heart that, you know, I, I'm not just called just to get medals. I mean, medals mm-hmm. fade and they tarnish and, and people soon forget, you know, we can talk about who won Western States in 2018, but you know what? People don't remember who won Western States this year. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that as quickly as records are broken, there's another person standing right in line that's going to break it next. And, and things just come so quickly. And so I really desire to use my running in a way that was lasting, that would last far beyond me. And so that is really what has kept me probably more motivated than anything is that it gives me an opportunity to connect with the world and, and to hopefully spread a message that is good and kind and, and loving. Well, your messages on Instagram are always spot on. very profound. And speaking of writing, when is your book coming out? Well, I wish I could say a date. (laughs) We're in the editing mode right now. You know, it really was my my goal to finish this uh, quite a while ago. And we've had um, a few hiccups. And even I did take a season where I put the whole thing on um, back on the shelf and said, Mm -hmm. I'm just not going to write this anymore. Uh, And I think part of it is just I, I tend to pour my whole heart into everything that I do. And you know, I'm pretty raw in the way that I, that I do write sometimes. And so it was sometimes just hard for me to write. And some of the stories that I share, um, not all of them are about running. I'd say a lot of things in my book that people don't know about me at all. And Mm -hmm. so, um, I think I definitely had a season of fear when I was writing it. And my husband's been so incredible. He's so encouraging every single day. Are you writing? How are we doing? How's it looking? Good to have an accountability partner. (laughs) Yeah. I have a few people that are like, okay, let's go Sally. Um, because it has been a, a, a lifelong dream of mine. I mean, from the time I was a little girl, I've kept journals. I have boxes and boxes and boxes of things that I have written. And when I was a little girl, I told my mom that I would one day be a book writer, but I thought I'd be a children's book writer. So, but it has been a lifelong dream and hopefully it'll be out by the end of this year. Oh, I cannot (laughs) wait to read that book for sure. You know, you, I want to circle back to what you just said about really feeling the awesomeness of the responsibility of the platform that you have been given. Not everybody, let's just say, honors it in the way that you have. It is a talent. You are very talented in connecting with your audience on social media or through your speaking. You have a way with words. 
And I just want to say thank you for that. Cause I know it's probably not always easy to, to share things and to, to stay connected to people, but you have touched a lot of people and we actually asked a few of our friends and listeners, former guests of the podcast that I know happen to be huge fans of yours. If you could ask Sally McCray anything, <laughs> what would it be? And so the last question about Western States came from a friend of ours named Scott. And I'm going to ask you this next one from a friend of mine named Heidi. She said, you recently posted something on YouTube entitled, You Are Capable of Greater Things. What a powerful video. Go search it up on YouTube. In that video, you say with this just crystallinely clear voice. You don't need to pretend you don't feel a thing. Feel the pain. So Heidi says, are you ever afraid the pain will last longer than you will? And what words do you speak to yourself then when the things are hard? Why do you think humans are often afraid of pain and afraid it will outlast them when we existed before and will exist after our pain? Quite a deep question, but. Yeah, no, I love it. It's beautiful. Thank you, Heidi. You know, I, I think that pain is, an, it, it is one of the things uh, next to death that is in, inevitable for all of us. And I first need to, to very much uh, state that I'm, I'm not a masochist. I don't love pain. I'm not <laughs> running after it. I'm not hoping for it. I don't wish it on people in, in that kind of way. But pain is, it, it is a teacher. It brings awareness. It brings respect. Pain makes us alert in a, in a really weird way. It can even make us grateful. Pain is, is intense. It's, it's an intense feeling that we obviously we don't want. It causes discomfort. It causes negativity. It causes us to kind of turn inward and, and really focus on so intensely on ourselves. And I think that the truth that pain brings is very hard to face. And so sometimes the pain is actually, it's more of like a mental state, like this hurts so bad because of what it's representing. Mm -hmm. And many times, you know, on a surfacey level, a, a runner, when we relate to pain, we relate to like a physical pain, whether it's like you're running a really hard 5K, which is so painful <laughs> yep. when you are going all out <laughs> super hard, right? Like my, I've never raced a 5K in my life. My daughter does. She's incredibly fast. But the look on her face in that last mile, I just like, I always get teary eyed because I know that she's so uncomfortable and she's experiencing great discomfort. So I think that pain is something that in every instance in life, it is going to end. There's always a stopping point. And unfortunately, I have watched many people pass away in my life, and it is very difficult to watch people pass away in, in pain. You know, as a mother, <laughs> we know that the pain of childbirth is also the precursor of what brings us the greatest joy in our life. And so it's that idea of, okay, I, I, have to, I have to be in this pain because I also need to believe that there's something on the other side that's going to be good. If I believe and I have that hope that the best is yet to come, well, I also have to believe that the most natural thing in every human being's life, like we have to get through it. So I'm either just going to sit here and complain about it or I'm going to be brave and go into it. And that really was one of the biggest changes that I had at Badwater um, was my relationship with pain and the way that I stood up to it. And that, that idea of not having to pretend that you don't feel it. I know this is a, it has been for hundreds of years, this idea of just being tough and being strong and being hard and you just need to toughen up and push through. But at the same time, that if you don't have anything to stand on, that, that actually doesn't work. It doesn't work just to tell yourself, I need to be tough. I need to harden up and I need to just to be stronger than this. Because what happens when you're not? Right. What happens when you actually understand that, oh my gosh, I'm actually not tougher than this pain. This freaking hurts so bad that I will do anything for it to stop. And if that means that I'm just going to stop and sit here and do nothing about it, then I will. But what if instead of saying that you think, and that's a lot of pride too. Yeah. And instead of saying that you're tougher than that pain, tell yourself like, I'm not tougher than this pain, but I do believe that I have the courage to walk through it. Well, that's vulnerability, right? Yeah, that's, it's vulnerability. It's, 
It is hope. I think that hope is such a powerful and sometimes, um, you know, it's an undermined concept. We think hope is kind of frilly and like, you know, fantasy island type thing that it's like, oh, just be hopeful. Just hope that. But no, hope with expectation, hope and expectation, they go hand in hand. I do know that this is going to be uncomfortable and painful, but I expect that it is going to, what's on the other side of that is going to be worth it. And so I'm going to be uncomfortable in this. I'm going to feel it. And the other thing is that when you think that you can numb out pain, you've absolutely done yourself a disservice because you have now not been able to feel the very thing that you were supposed to learn. You have missed out on experiencing Mm -hmm. the growth. And not only that, the greatest part of the memory in all of this, because you know, when we go through something uncomfortable, we do remember that. And many times that would, that's what causes us to turn a direction, to take a new path, to take a better step, to be stronger, to grow, because we never want to feel that again. Yeah. I just love to hear your perspective on this. So we, we are coming to the end of our time together. I, we have so <laughs> many more questions we want to ask you, but I'm going to wrap up with, um, you've, you've spoken already that you had a lot of loss in your life mm-hmm. and I can't imagine the feelings of, you know, as a teenager of almost, you know, abandonment of your mother leaving and your father leaving you alone. But since then, you know, I look at the crew you had at Western States that first year Mm -hmm. and the crew you had at Badwater, there's some of the same people there, right? Like Mm -hmm. you, besides family, certain people are lucky enough to have their family around all the time, but Mm -hmm. I almost think that the two people that will never leave you in your life are God mm-hmm. and your run tribe. Like, <laughs> your run crew will right? be there for you no oh, matter what. Yes. And you know, they know you, they see you. So mm-hmm. how does that make you feel to have people like that? Like your, your husband and your run tribe mm-hmm. just there for you day after day and year after year. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it is such a gift. And I, I've said this in a few posts, if those people are gold and I, you know, I, I, I think it isn't until um, we get a little bit older, because we don't always think of our friends like that when we're in high school and college, right? Like, we, we have so many people around us all the time that you're always making new friends and meeting new people that you actually, it takes a little while before you start to understand, like, while the people that actually truly care about me and that are consistently in my life in every season of my life, when I'm a hard person to be around or when I'm not so pretty to be around, like they're there when I'm sick and when I'm doing well and all those things, it's a very small group of people. And furthermore, to find people that care about your dreams just as much as you do and remind you of those constantly, that's a great rarity. I mean, it's very rare. And I think you know, as I've gone through my career and I've worked with, you know, lots of different brands, I've interacted with a lot of different people that have big followings and brands of their own. And it's easy to question like who actually has my interests in mind, my best interests in mind, who actually really does care about me at, at my core. And so yes, the the crew that I had at Badwater specifically, um, yeah, my husband and Colin and Dave Daly, I mean, they've been around for a very long time and they do know me well, and I'm very grateful for them. And yeah, they're golden. <laughs> mm-hmm. You're blessed. Yeah. Amazing <laughs> to have people in your life like that. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So what is next for you? Do you have anything on the horizon that you're looking forward to <laughs> race wise or otherwise? Yeah, I do. I, we have quite a bit that we're, that we're doing right now. And I'll, I'll tell you, this is that part that I'm always working on, disciplining myself with my time and just even what to, what to choose to do. So, um, we've, we've been working, me and my team been working for a while on just different forms of content that I put out. Obviously finishing up my book is one of them, but, um, I'm a big believer in a strong mind and a strong body. So we've been creating a lot of content around there. We're working on an app, some website stuff, so we will be releasing that really soon. That's probably one of the biggest projects that's going to be rolling out next. But I do have races. Yeah, I do have races coming up too. Um, I'm an iFit trainer. And so I, I do some projects and some traveling with them. So I have like a 5K race that I'm filming with them here in my hometown here in Huntington Beach in a few weeks. I was supposed to go to UTMB and run the TBS, but you know, I just didn't feel like I had an honest cycle in the mountains of, of good, solid training. And 
I didn't want to show up to TD. I mean, you can't that <laughs> that you're racing um, in some pretty gnarly terrain there. So I didn't do that, but I might do a hundred mile race um, in the middle of September. Run rabbit run. I see you're signed up for Lake Sonoma as well. Are you going to do that you know, one as well? So or? funny. I don't. I don't know why I'm on that list. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody wants you to be there. I know. I know. A few people have contacted like, oh, I see you're riding like snow. I was like, I am? I need to contact the race director. I think what I was kind of thinking that's like 50 miles right before a hundred miler. Like so in 2019, I was gonna run Lake Sonoma and then um wait, what happened? Or or 2020, I was gonna run Lake Sonoma. And then it got like postponed um mm-hmm. with COVID. And so then I was like, oh, you know, I, I'm not going to put that back on the calendar, but I think they just rolled me in, um, <laughs> assuming that I would do it this year. So <laughs> skip the RD. He's incredible. Such a great guy. I'm sure he was just being kind and was like, yeah, I'm just going to keep her in there and <laughs> she's got a spot. So very sweet. I love that race. I've done it a few times. It's, it's awesome, but no, I, I won't be there. I was actually signed up in 2020 myself oh, and oh deferred my to 2021. Yeah. We would have been able to meet each other. Are you going? Oh, no, I can't go. Uh, the border stuff is just still oh, too wait, complicated what am I, what am I from thinking? Canada. Yes, so, I know. Yeah. yeah, we, we know but, this. <laughs> uh, yeah, that would have been amazing in 2020. Oh, so, Sally, yeah. oh, my goodness, this has been such a honor and a privilege. And mm-hmm. we want to just thank you from the bottom of our hearts for the generosity of your time and sharing all the things that you do with our listeners. And um, congratulations on Badwater again. And thank good you. luck with everything that's going on with the fall for you. Thank you so much. And before we let you go, we've mentioned already that you're an excellent follow on social media. So do you want to plug your channels? You're Yellow Runner on Instagram, right? Yeah, I'm Yellow Runner on Instagram. I have the same um, page on Facebook as Yellow Runner, SallyMcGrade.com. And then I have Coach Sally McRae as my YouTube. So definitely check those um, channels out if you haven't already. And um, thanks for joining us, Sally. Thank you. 